The scripture this morning comes from the book of John, chapter 6, starting in verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who has sent, whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you would join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for all of the just incredible privileges that we get to be a part of uh, this morning. Just that we're here, we're awake, we're alive, we have food in front of us, we have uh, a place to come uh, and worship freely you, to praise you, to, to sing to you, to confess our need for you, receive grace and forgiveness, and to witness new life, new birth, uh, a, a birth into our family of all saints, uh, and to, to get to participate and see your grace at work. Now would you be moving that grace into our hearts, applying, take, take these words and, and take them to the places where we need them, where we need to receive your grace, we need to be convicted, we need to be moved, we need to be changed, we need to, to love you more and see more of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. We're starting a series this morning um, that should take us uh, really up to uh, end of the summer or about the school year. So it'll be going through the, the seven I am statements of Jesus uh, so next seven weeks. And so these I am statements, they're found in the Gospel of John. And these are places throughout Jesus' ministry where he makes bold, um, sometimes extreme claims about his identity. And a lot of times within these I am statements, they come in the form of an analogy. Or they come in the form of a, a metaphor of some sort, and Jesus uses them to help us to understand better how do we relate to him. 
Right? How, how do we know something more about who he is and understand what is our relationship to Jesus? That's, that's kind of the purpose that he's getting at, and that's really my goal for this series. That's my goal for this sermon. It's not complicated. What does Jesus say about himself, and how does he want us to think about him? How does he want us to be growing in a relationship with him? So, the first claim that we'll look at this week is this claim came at the end of this passage, uh, I am the bread of life. And I I encourage you, you've got the passage there, but I encourage if you have a Bible, you've got a a phone or app, um, keep that open in front of you. It can help to just get a a little bit of a larger context as well, besides just this passage of what's going on. But uh, as I was going through this particular passage and and going through, there's a back and forth kind of dialogue between Jesus and this crowd, and it got me uh, thinking a little bit about kids' menus. Uh, I'm going to explain why the reason for that is, but um, with with kids' menus, there's usually a conversation that happens. I I have not personally had this conversation, but uh, it's coming, and it, it happens all the time. Heard this type of conversation any number of times where uh, parents are out with their kids at a restaurant and um, they're, they're, the kid is getting to a certain age where the parent then starts encouraging them, hey, do you want to try something from the adult menu, from the grown-up menu? And uh, you, a number of times, oftentimes, I think this was the case for me, it's not really until the kid physically just gets too old and they just stop getting handed the kid's menu and they just won't, they won't go for it. it. They won't take because they, they're just going to keep ordering what they always want. They want the, the chicken nuggets and the mac and cheese. Uh, and, you know, there's, there's no way that the parent, they'll, they'll try, the parent will try to convince them, look, there's some some really good stuff here. I think there's some stuff you would really like. There's some steak, there's some home fries. You should try this. You should give this a try. I think you would really like it. A kid is just adamant and refusing this. No, no, no. I I just, I want my pre-frozen chicken nuggets. I want my mac and cheese scooped out of a pre-made batch. That's what I want. And you just can't persuade this child that there are, in fact, some better things that, you know, being an adult doesn't always, at least in this case, doesn't always mean you just deprive yourselves of the best things because that's what it means to be an adult, that, that there are actually sometimes better things available. Right? And you just you can't, can't get that message through. And that's really a lot of what is happening within this conversation. That's what's going on between... Jesus and this crowd. And that's really my main point for this sermon, is that Jesus offers more. Jesus offers more. And uh, we could say here Jesus offers better, right? but it's really kind of the same idea. I'll just stick with simplicity. Jesus offers more. And what I want to do is go through this dialogue that Jesus has with this crowd. We'll look at the dialogue in, in four parts. You might not understand all of it up front, but we'll go through each part. So we have a, the first part is people are looking for provision. This is verses 25 through 27. 
Secondly, we'll look at the labor, the labor of a Christian, verses 28 through 29. Uh, Third, we'll see people are looking for a sign. That's verses 30 through 33. And then uh, lastly, verses 34 to 35, Jesus is the provision. So start by looking at verses 25 to 27. And it's helpful to set this particular passage in a wider or a larger context because really the nature of this conversation is going to flow from, it's going to develop from what just happened, what just took place. So prior to this, just the day before, in fact, Jesus just fed 5,000 men. Now, it's unclear. We don't know whether that number includes women or children or not. So it could have been well over 10,000 people Jesus just fed. Either way, it's a lot of people. And it's understandable then that when the, the next day they can't find Jesus, they go hunting for him. Wouldn't you? <laughs> Here's this guy who, at least he's not boring. Now, he's not uninteresting. He's got something to say. And he'll feed up to 5,000 people just for hanging around and listening to him. You know, that's got to beat a day outside working all day. That's, that's not a bad deal. And so they're going looking for him. And Jesus knows what's going on. He's not stupid. He, he, he knows what's happening. And so the crowd, right, they, they can't find Jesus anywhere. They didn't see him leaving. They get on these boats to try to, to, try to track Jesus down. And they go across this Sea of Galilee. They find him on the other side of the sea. And they try to kind of play the whole thing off. Right? Like, like, Jesus, how did you get here? That's really weird, as if they're kind of just curious about how he arranged his transportation which, by the way, was miraculous because Jesus, in fact, the night before walked on water to get to his disciples. But that's not the point. That's not really what's going on. And Jesus knows that, and he calls them out on this immediately. I really appreciate this about Jesus. He's not going to play games. He's not going to be coy. So he says to the crowd, verse 26, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So Jesus is driving, this is what he does. He's driving right after the heart. He's going right after their motivations, our motivations. And there's other places in Jesus' ministry where he will condemn people for just looking after signs, because People will sometimes come, they're just trying to see these kind of supernatural, like the fireworks of Jesus, and these kind of power displays. That's not really what's happening here. Jesus knows there's a different motivation at play. The people have not tracked him down because they just want to see more of a show. They're here because they want bread. And there's no mystery, really, about this. We can see this happening Clearly, just a few verses before this passage, if you have your Bibles, just take a look back at chapter 6, verse 15. I'm going to read it if you don't have this in front of you. So, 
right after Jesus feeds the 5,000 people, or or 10,000, they start picking up the pieces, and it's then they they start actually realizing what just happened here. That Jesus just satisfied the hunger of an enormous crowd using virtually nothing. And they're, they're just, they're figuring out this is, okay, this is just what happened. And so, verse 15 says that, perceiving then they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So, you imagine this? Now, this is why Jesus very much knows what they are looking for here. The crowd they got so swept up in the amazingness of this miracle. This feeding of the 5,000 people is about to turn into a mob situation. The people just got, they swept up in this frenzy, and they said, that's it, you're the rightful king, we're doing this right now, we're starting a kingdom, you're the guy, you're doing it, let's go, let's get this happening. And (laughs) why not? Can you imagine somebody that could just snap their fingers and feed an entire army? Feed an entire city? Can you imagine what kind of conquests you could have? What kind of victories you could achieve? What kind of wealth you could be bringing in if you had that kind of power? And so Jesus slips away because that's not what he's after. And he knows they're about to try to make him a bread king. That's what they're going to try to do. So now, verse 27, Jesus is going to engage them in a dialogue very similar to one he just had a little bit earlier. Just, in fact, two chapters ago with this uh, Samaritan woman at the well. And he says to the crowd here, Do not labor... For the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. So try to imagine for a moment, you've never heard this, right? Or try to imagine that you are in the crowd, hearing this for the first time. It's understandable why you might not immediately get, what is Jesus talking about? What is he saying? Now, we have this privilege, or this side of the New Testament, this side of Jesus and the Gospels. We have the whole picture. We know what's going on. We know what he's trying to say. Right? But I think it's worth appreciating here that Jesus doesn't always, in fact, a lot of times, he doesn't say things directly. Right? He will provoke thought. Right? He will lead people. He will he'll push people. He'll sort of create this confusion and uncertainty to make people kind of want to lean in. What are you saying? What what are you really trying to communicate? And Jesus, he'll speak in extremes sometimes, like he is doing here, because he wants to make us confused or uncomfortable enough to actually listen, right? Not just tune out, but listen and be like, wait, what what did he just say? What, What does he really mean? Because Jesus tells the crowd here, and he tells us, stop working for food. He tells the woman at the well, if you knew who I was, 
you'd be asking me for water and you would never be thirsty. Now Jesus, he speaks in these kind of extremes because he knows that we're thick. He knows that we're dense. And he knows there's really relatively very little chance that we are going to hear this text, you're going to hear this sermon, and you're going to go out tomorrow and decide, you know what? I don't have to work. I don't have to drink water. Jesus told me he's just going to, he's just going to supply. He's just going to give me everything I need. Jesus knows, even in as extreme terms as he is using here, our danger, your danger, my danger, is not going to be we're going to go out and work too hard for spiritual satisfaction to the neglect of our physical needs. That's just not going to happen. He's just is not concerned that you are going to walk away from this text tomorrow and, and stop being concerned about what you're going to eat. And some of you are more concerned about what you're going to eat right now than you are actually listening to the sermon. Right, so it just it's not an issue. Or Jesus is not concerned that we're going to take this the wrong way. What Jesus is trying to tell us, what he's trying to communicate is... I've got something more. I've got something greater. And yes, naturally you want food. And naturally you're going to work to make sure you have enough to eat and you can keep living and surviving, okay? But as important as physical food is, I have something that's actually more important. I have something that's actually more vital, that should be actually worth more of your attention than that. More continual of your focus. So that's, that's his point. That's what he's trying to draw us into. Let's go to the second topic of this conversation. It's the labor of a Christian. The labor of a Christian. So the crowd, like I said, and like us, they're a little bit thick. So they don't really understand what Jesus is saying, and they hear him saying, okay, Jesus is promising this great food, but he does expect us to work for it. Okay, okay, they they start thinking, all right, well, now this is more familiar territory. This is something we're we're used to. This is something we we can understand. It's an exchange of goods and services, right? You uh, give us some food, we give you some work, we do some labor, and so you're saying that Jesus, right? Okay, we, we need to work for God. Okay, well, uh, what does that look like? What's the job description here that we can follow this and then make sure that we're going to get paid in return? And what is Jesus' response? Verse 29. And this really, in my mind, is one of the most radical concise statements of the gospel you will find in the entire Bible. Right here. This is what Jesus says. This is the work of God. Now, don't miss already what Jesus is doing. Already what he's doing here. The crowd just asked Jesus what works, plural, works, do we need to be doing? And Jesus, very intentionally, changes this to work, singular. And he's saying, there's, there's one work. It's not going to be this plus something else down the line, plus something else when you make partner. Right? This is it. You've got one work, one 
one thing your entire Christian life that God expects from you. Believe in him whom he has sent. Believe in Jesus. That's it. That's our only work that we get. And if you don't feel like that's much work, that doesn't sound like much work to you, you probably haven't been a Christian for very long, or you you probably haven't traveled very far down the pathway of Christianity. Because there's believing and there's believing. And don't get me wrong, I, I do not mean to say here that the grounds of your confidence, of your faith, or your assurance, is how well, how strongly am I believing this today. That, that's getting it completely twisted. Right? The grounds of our faith, the grounds of our confidence, is always only in Jesus. And what Jesus has done for you. Not how firmly, how well you're believing that today. However, your maturity or your fullness of life that you are going to experience is going to come from how deeply do you believe that your one work is actually to believe in Jesus and not in yourself. And when it comes to God, how can you be sure? How can you know God's with you, God's for you, God's pleased with you? God's going to be working for you. Now, most of us, really, if we're honest, we think it's because of something that you're doing, or something you're going to do. Now, it's because I'm such a, a nice person, for the most part. Now, it's, I'm really disciplined in reading my Bible and praying. Or, you know, I, I really try to talk about Jesus everywhere I go. And that's not it. That's never going to be it. The one work we have our entire Christian lives is to turn away from ourselves and say, my only worth, my only value, my only security in life is Jesus and what Jesus has done for me. Let's go to the third part of this conversation. So, Jesus has just given this crowd one of the most liberating promises you could ever hear. And they respond, okay, okay, Jesus, so we're supposed to believe in you. So what sign, what sign do you do that we can see it and believe in you? You know, like, what's kind of your your signature move here? (laughs) Which, you know, by the way, hint, hint, uh, God used to supply his people with bread from heaven every single day. (laughs) They could count on it every day. They got that manna, you know. That's just one of the things that God did to build people's faith in him. I'm just saying, you know, something to think about if you really want to prove yourself. That's the tone here. It's stupefying. It's it's kind of mind-blowing, really, because yesterday... Less than 24 hours ago, Jesus just fed 5,000 people. (laughs) That just happened. And now, this same crowd, not a different crowd, it's not not new people, the same crowd comes to him and they're saying, is there anything you can do? 
any, anything you, you know, any sign you can show us to, to prove that you're kind of somebody we should believe in? And really, they're just, they're proving Jesus' point here as to why he's not about to feed them a second time. Because it's not enough. It's never going to be enough. And you remember the story of Israel in the wilderness. It wasn't enough for them. It wasn't as if they had some incredible, just stellar faith and, and you know, strong trust in God, despite the fact he was giving them manna from bread every single day. And now this is not the main point, but it's an important point for us to get from this. And that is, as long as we are approaching God looking for some kind of sign, looking for something special he, he's going to do for you, I guarantee it is never going to be enough. Now, I'll share a story about this. So, uh, my, uh, my older brother, Ransom, we've got one older brother, and uh, he was in middle school, and they were on uh, a trip to Washington, D.C., and so he's in D.C. there with his, his best friend at the time, and they're talking about uh, faith and God and prayer and, and all those kinds of things. And Ransom's friend uh, says to Ransom, okay, well, you know, here we are. We're, we're in Washington, D.C. It's a restricted airspace here, and it's a really cloudy day. Um, if God makes a plane fly below the clouds, now then I'll believe in it. So uh, Ransom prays. He says, you know, God, would you make a plane fly below the clouds? Uh, by the way, it's not, not an example necessarily to follow these things. But, um, you know, a few minutes later, <laughs> just had me maybe a few minutes, a fighter jet comes roaring right over their heads, super low under all the clouds. And without missing a beat, almost in the same second, Ransom's friend turns to him, says, that doesn't count. That doesn't count. <laughs> maybe, maybe if God makes a plane, you know, crash into the Washington Monument, you know, then, you know, then I believe. And it, it's, really, it's really a story of what we're like. I mean, you, we hear this sort of things. I'll hear these things a lot. You know, if God were really real, you know, why doesn't he just write giant letters across the sky? I'm God. Everybody can see this. Believe in Jesus, my son. Yeah, he could do that, right? You know, and then, then I believe. And, you know, one of the reasons why God doesn't do that, one of the reasons, is he knows that we're going to respond exactly like this crowd. We're going to come back the next day and say, okay, God, but uh, you know, what sign do you do? You know, what, what can you show me? Now, Jesus, for his part, he responds with supernatural patience. He doesn't just walk away from this crowd. It's probably what I would do. But he tries to meet the crowd where they are and, and to bring them higher. He says, okay, all right, you want to talk about this manna? You want to talk about this manna that the Israelites got and they got fed with, God gave them? Okay, well, let's talk about that. Manna was a sign. 
The manna was a pointer. It came down from heaven and it gave life to people. But there's a problem, and Jesus gets into this later in the passage, 47 to 51. This is what Jesus says, verse 49. He says, Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Or, as he says in, in 35, in his, this I am statement, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. So you see the back and forth that's going on here? You see this, this sort of dialogue where, where Jesus is coming to this crowd and he says, look, I get it. <laughs> I see what you're after. I I know what you want. I'm trying to tell you I have something more. I've got something better. And this is where I want to close, which is by turning this over in our minds a little bit as, as we close out. Because this is where the work of Jesus and the response of the crowds directly intersects with where our life is today, where human beings always are. And that is the question, do you believe that Jesus offers more? Do you believe that? The the nature of this conversation, and and the one that Jesus has with the woman at the well, is very similar. In both cases, Jesus is meeting this natural concern It's natural concern for earthly things, material wants, physical needs, comfort. The the woman, she wants water, the crowd wants bread. And and Jesus has an exceedingly difficult time in both cases trying to convince, trying to persuade the point, I have something better. That's worth noting, really important, worth noting in both cases, Jesus does not get angry. He does not get angry at the woman or at the crowd for, for wanting water or for wanting bread. That's a really natural thing. It's natural not to want to have to work anymore to get your water or to get your food. I, that would be a pretty awesome thing, wouldn't it? Right? You just have, just take for example, like you got a, a nice full cold bottle of, of sparkling water or, or soda, right? whatever, your flavor, never empty, always there for you. That's pretty nice. Right? Or if magically every night you had prepared for you a, a, an amazing healthy dinner, never had to buy it, never had to prepare for it. That would be pretty terrific. And the issue here doesn't really just stop with, with food or water. Or we can take water, we can take food to be a stand-in for a lot of different things we go after in life. I just call them like earthly goals. Right? Whatever it is, the things that your mind drifts to, right? even now, right? the things that you're, you're constantly thinking about and worrying about and planning for and, and working for. Right, here's the important point. Those aren't bad things. 
They're not bad things to want. They're not bad things to plan for. They're not bad things to work for. That's just part of life. And the way that Jesus comes to the crowd, the way that he, he speaks to the crowd, should be instructive for the way that he comes to us. He doesn't come just wagging his finger and be like, no, no, no. <laughs> You're being a little bit too earthly. Need to be a little bit more spiritual. Uh, you know, just, you know, need, need to be praying a little bit more. Here's some books for you to read. Uh, you know, maybe try giving a little more money. That's, that's not what he does. He comes to them in a, in a winsome, drawing, wooing kind of way. And he says, yes, of course you want those things. Do you believe that I have something more? Do you believe that I actually have something better? Something that's going to be eternal? Because Jesus wants us, he wants you to go after the things that last. The things that aren't just going to slip through your fingers. So I'll let you in on a secret. Whatever it is right now, whatever it is you're fixated on, or worrying over, that goal, or point of concern, relationship, whatever, whenever that's passed, whenever you're through that, or whenever you get that, guess what? There's going to be another one. And another one. And, you know, it's, no matter how good of a lunch you eat, no matter how filling, no matter how satisfying of a lunch you eat after service, you're going to need another one tomorrow. And on Tuesday. And Jesus, he, he knows that, and what he wants us to see is that the work that we put in, work that you and I put in towards growing closer in our relationship with him, that's going to last forever. That's going to stay with us. So as you pray with me that, that God helps us to, to prioritize the things that are going to be most helpful to us. Father, we thank you that you offer yourself as the bread of life, the real bread of life uh, that we need, that we need to feed on, that we need to be nourished by. Would you come to us and, and fill us up with that? Would you give us actually more of a hunger and more of a thirst? It's, it's so hard even to sometimes have a spiritual appetite for the things that we need the most severely. Would you just give us some of that appetite, perhaps, for things that we really need? In Jesus' name, amen.